This episode of the Duck Gun Podcast proudly brought to you by Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels, the market's only double-walled, roto-molded dog crate, and a five-star crash test-rated kennel. These American-made boxes come with a lifetime warranty, and the guys over at Gunner Kennels have done some crazy testing just to show how strong they really are, like dropping 4,000 pounds on it, hammering it with a 630-pound sled, tossing it off a 200-foot cliff, and shooting it with a 12-gauge at seven paces with no pellet penetration. You're hitting the road with your dog this season. Gunner Kennels is your safest bet. Protect your best friend and protect your investment. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Corey from Sportsman Taxidermy, and we talk about all things taxidermy, best practices, different mount styles, and a slew of other things. Just a quick reminder, guys, make sure to check out Elliot and me on all of our social medias. Mine is Duck Gun Chronicles for Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube. Elliot's is Freelance Duck Hunting on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and in the Facebook group, it's Fellowship of the Duck Gun. All right, and now for a quick word from our sponsors before we jump right into the podcast. Hey guys, Tim from HDR here. If you really want to get your group up front and in the action, check out our new HTR A-frame. Hunt anywhere, concealed. It sets up and takes down in less time than it takes to put your waders on. We've developed our own camo patterns for a better hide, with more designs coming. We have you covered from the sides and the top. Oh, and did I mention, our A-frame is only 10 pieces out of the box? Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on htrinnovations.com. What's going on, guys? I'm Jordan Fromer from Duck Gun Chronicles. And I got my co-host alongside me, Elliot, from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest tonight is Corey from Sportsman Taxidermy. How you doing, Corey? Pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on kind of short notice. We had planned on having you on, but then we had to shuffle around because our schedules and you were able to jump on last second. So really, that was really appreciate you being able to be on here. And I, this is a topic I'm really interested to hear and talk about, just kind of the, yeah. your side of the taxidermy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a whole lot to it. Uh, I don't really know where you'd want to start. I would assume probably with uh, the hunting aspect of it, go through the full genre. Sure. Well, um, before we do that, let's let's kind of just let, give people a little bit of background on yourself. Like, you know, as I said, you're Corey, just go ahead and, you know, just a little brief history and then we'll jump into the taxidermy. All right. Uh, well, I'm Corey. Um, I've been hunting ducks since I was probably 12. Uh, really ramped it up with my little brother um, probably about six or seven years ago. Uh, get out every chance we get. I try to hunt ducks at least 30 to 40 times a year. Geese, if I can do the same, about the same. Uh, but yeah, just that's my hunting background as far as that goes. Uh, taxidermy background. I work at uh, Sportsman's Taxidermy out in Belton, Missouri. Uh, it's a taxidermy shop that's been in business for, I think, going on 23 years now. Uh, I've been working there for about five years, full-time there, about two years. So, yeah. 
Awesome. So that that's your full-time profession then? Full-time profession. Uh, Very cool. Just tax term. Yes, sir. That's great. So kind of at what point did you uh, realize that you wanted to do taxidermy? Well, honestly, what got me into taxidermy was the price of taxidermy. Um, I've got <laughs> I've got four kids, so uh, money was at a premium, and I wanted to I hunt so much. You know, I'd be getting these beautiful mallards, you know, canvas backs, pintails, all this stuff that I'd always wanted on my wall, and I just I honestly couldn't afford to mount as much as I wanted. So I just kind of took it into my own hands and learned it. Uh, went from there, and then uh, found uh, the shop that I, I work at now. Uh, became friends with him and just kind of grew upon it until I'm to the point where I am now. Awesome. And you do have uh, quite a few mounts on the wall behind you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a, a older dead hang I'd done. And I think uh, one of the first mallards I had mounted, I think, is directly above me. Awesome. So, <laughs> what was the very first piece that you mounted personally? very first piece uh, that I mounted was uh, it's a mallard, and it's just suspended by a string. My girls call it the turtodactyl. It didn't really turn out very good. So, but I, I keep it around so that I can see, you know, my progression where I started at. It's like with any any job or any thing that you're doing. Uh, it's nice to see where you came from to be able to gauge where you're at. Um, so I went from you know putting birds together that looked pretty much like toys to um, I just recently competed in my first show um, in Missouri at the Lake of the Ozarks, and I took second on a blue wing teal that I brought. So. Wow. Awesome. It's definitely nice to be able to see your own progression. Yeah. Was that like a fully flocked? I assume you wouldn't uh, mount. Or, I mean, I don't know. It was, it was about as fully flocked as you can get a blue wing teal in our area. Uh, I had gotten lucky. I Normally, I never kill a blue wing teal after maybe the first week of normal Missouri duck season. Um, but we were at a power plant lake, and this guy came in in the last week of the season. Uh, not fully plumed, but right there to the point where it was really difficult to tell that he wasn't. Um, I don't really have him on me right now. He's at the shop. Otherwise, I'd, I'd love to show him off. But he's he's a good-looking bird. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and in northern Indiana, we don't get, like, teal late season very often. And a, cu a couple seasons ago, I did shoot a green wing, which is probably more common to shoot late season than a blue wing. And I've never in person seen a fully flocked blue wing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really difficult to see the fully flocked blue wings uh, in our area. You see them more in the, uh, like, the southern states. They'll get them, Louisiana. Um, we'll have some shipped in from there. Um, we've got a, a, a pretty loyal customer that uh, makes trips down to Mexico uh, quite a bit, and he's brought us in some cinnamons and some blue wings, and that's where you have to really go to get the fully plumed blue wings is Mexico or Argentina. Um, but you can get them, you know, here locally. Uh, it's just very difficult, very, you know, by luck of the draw. So, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. My My, my thinking is that, if I'm going to have something mounted, I want to have the best looking duck that I can shoot at the same time. Like I wouldn't mind having a blue wing teal mounted, but and I don't mind having it mounted how it looks when I shoot it, mm -hmm. which is, which is not fully plumed. I think it still would be a cool mount just because it doesn't have its full plumage on. What do you think? About the blue that? wing teals, I've done them before for customers that, uh, that kill them early season and they all look like hens and there's really nothing wrong with it. Um, the only real issue with that is is pin feathers um, because they do take so long for their feathers to mature, get fully plumed out. You end up with a lot of pin feathers, and that's really going to um, degrade the quality of the mount that I can give you from the get-go because I lose a lot of those feathers uh, during the process of mounting it. Um, and they carry a lot of blood, a lot of oil inside those feathers. 
that will leach out. There's really nothing I can do about about the pin feathers leaching out. So it's you're not going to get as high of a quality of a mount if you do do that. Um, but yeah, I don't see anything wrong with it, uh, especially if you pick a pose that you can um, kind of hide some of the the problems with with the blue wing or the early season bird. Uh, it's just uh, you know to each his own. Um, some taxidermists may refuse to to do an early season bird like that because mm -hmm. you're going to take it, you're going to show it off to your friend, um, and if it's not a quality bird, then it kind of goes back on the taxidermist. Uh, so it's one of those things he didn't have control over the quality of the bird. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it kind of looks bad on them. So a lot of guys won't do it. Um, I'll do it for my more educated customers um, that can explain, you know, this is why I mounted it. You know, this is, you know, maybe it's my kid's first duck. Maybe this is my first blue wing. This is the first duck that my dog brought back. You know, um, there's not a problem with it. Um, it's just uh, the quality that it's going to turn out. Yeah. Can you, can you get a little more of an explanation of what the pin feathers are exactly and where they're located? Uh, pin feathers actually can be all over the bird. Most of the time, you're going to see them on the birds that you shoot are going to be in the breast, um, on the scapulars, the back feathers. Um, and what those are is every year the duck molts. And when the duck molts, he produces new feathers. And waterfowl are kind of unique in that they molt all their feathers at the same time, especially their flight feathers. Um, and then they, they grow back. Um, now, when you're shooting your early season birds, especially a younger bird that produces uh, the feathers a little late, you're going to have what's called pen feathers. And you can recognize them because um, either a they're going to be right at the base of the skin and it's going to be black and it's going to look like it's black but it's actually a blood supply in there or um, like if you ever killed a turkey it's really evident on a turkey uh, like a fall bird where you can see that the feathers kind of um, encased in like a, a fingernail type of uh, substance around it so that that feather doesn't completely open so you've got a bird with a bunch of basically closed feathers so that really makes them kind of look thinned out, kind of uh, kind of raggedy looking. Um, mm -hmm. But if you've ever plucked a bird, you'll definitely know the difference between a normal feather and a pin feather. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Now, what about with uh, when the gadwall come through? Like I've shot some really beautiful gadwall, but I don't know. Beautiful to me in my hands, maybe only half plumed out. Yeah, just because um, it's, it's we kill a lot of gadwall around here. It's hard to get a good gadwall around here. There are some. You want to really look for uh, the rusty feathers on their scapulars, the, the middle of their back. You want those to extend down kind of the same way that a pintails extend down over the, over the back. And then you also want to look at the head. Um, now, a normal gadwall that comes through early season, he's, he's maybe not completely mature, but he's fairly mature. He's going to have just that grayish-brown head. Um, but then when they get really mature, they're going to have an iridescence that kind of follows a line similar to what a, uh, like a widgeon would have. And he's going to get a purple a purple iridescence that like a mallard would kick out. Um, that's when you really know you've got a, a fully, fully plumed gadwall and they turn out phenomenal. They look really good. Yeah. They're beautiful ducks. I, I don't know that I've ever seen one with that iridescence on the head in my hand. Yeah, have you recognized it or do you think that they're done? I don't see them much. Um, you probably, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I mean, if you shoot them in, it, it, you really got to kick it around kind of like a mallard, how it'll go black to purple to green. Uh, if mm -hmm. you do the same thing with that gadwall, you'll really see it. I've got one behind me, but I'd, I'd have to move everything. But he's, he's definitely got the purple, um, kind of, like I said, the same shape, general shape as the green swatch that would be on a, uh, on a widgeon. But they'll, they'll get that purple. So is it best then to wait as far in the season as you can to get a duck if, that you want mounted? Yeah. If you can wait until uh, mid-season or late season, 
to, to get, start picking your birds out for the taxidermist, you're going to end up with a lot better product. Um, but I mean, you'll get, you know, a lot of guys don't shoot canvas backs. You may get that one surprise flock of canvas backs that comes through early season that you want to mount because you may never shoot another one. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can wait, I suggest waiting. Uh, the later the season, the bird, the better the quality of the bird is going to be. So everybody wow. shoots mallards pretty much. So you wouldn't want to do one like until, you know, the last sp- yeah. s- section like, of um, the season. Yeah, if you could if you could possibly wait till January to kill your mallard, you're going to have a phenomenal mallard cuz the gray feathers, they kind of go white and if you can get a really white mallard, that's, you know, he's a late season bird. Um he's seen it all. It's it's kind of like shooting, you know, your 12-point buck. He's been shot at all season. He's made it down somehow. He survived. You were the one that killed him and he's fully plumed out, so he he couldn't be any prettier of a bird. So if you could wait until, you know, the last day of the season to bring me a mallard, you're going to have probably the best mallard out of anybody else in the shop. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I'm going to have, um, you know, a couple mounts. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, because I've only shot like three canvas backs in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about the prospect of having something like a canvas back if I was lucky enough to harvest one this year. But then I was like, you know what? I think I would rather have on my wall something that I shoot all the time. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at it, it's going to have so much more like year to year meaning to me than something I've only shot once. Absolutely. And it, but it's one of those things that one bird that you th- shot once, you, every time you look at it, it's going to flood back that memory. You're going to be able to account that day a lot better than you would had you yeah. not had that mount because he's going to bring back that memory. Mm-hmm. And plus, I mean, you know, that once in a lifetime trophy, it's nice to have that, you know, you can go out yeah. and shoot another mount. Yeah, well, you can mount a mount anytime you want, but a canvas bag, you got, I'm going to have very few chances in my life. To, exactly. <laughs> to get it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love a. I think every, everybody probably tries to mount this one as well, but pintails are, are awesome. Mounts. Pintails, yep. Yeah. Uh, pintails make a tremendous mount. They're another bird that uh, in our area, it's hard to get a good plumed out pintail, um, but you can. Uh, if you can shoot them late season, like if, uh, if there's a, like a, a reverse migration, a slight reverse migration, you can get a lot of good pintails in the area um, and you can kill a really good one. I get a lot of really good pintails out of the Cheyenne Bottoms area. Um, for whatever reason, it holds some tremendous pintails. Yeah, so. it does. I was out there one time with my dad, and um, man, we we didn't. They're hard to decoy, and we weren't concealed enough. But we watched wave after wave after wave of pintails for like four hours, oh, just yeah. going over us. It was a. It was, I've never seen so many pintails in my life. It was a unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah. We shot some last year that um, in October that weren't that bad um no they weren't mm-hmm. fully plumed but the you know the drakes had their head coloring and had a uh, a sprig that wasn't too bad um for october they were nice looking birds mm-hmm. yeah i think some January. of the best pin- yeah some of the best pintails i ever got was actually on a day where um prior to it i'd only killed two canvas backs uh we had a group of four of us out there and we had shot a four man limit of pin or uh, canvas backs earlier in the day then late in the day, for whatever reason, just a huge flock of mallards and pintails, which we were at a lake that almost never gets pintails. I think we killed one pintail on that lake prior to that. And we, we came out of there like bandits. We had some beautiful pintails, some gorgeous canvas backs. It was just hunt of a lifetime. Oh, wow. Wow. What state you say that was in? <laughs> Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> Dude, we, man, I go years without even seeing a canvas back. Yeah. Um, 
to killing my first canvas back, I'd, I'd probably gone 10 years without killing one. Well, without even seeing one outside of going to like uh, the local, you know, uh, neighborhood lakes for whatever reason, they seem to always hold all the birds you want. Um, huh. But yeah, um, I've only had two years where we actually killed pintails. My brother and I are pintails. I'm sorry. Uh, canvas backs. My brother and I had killed a pair and then we went three or four years without seeing any more. And then we had that, that one giant flock of them come in where we all limited out on canvas backs. And then, kind of like a freak thing we had one canvas back in a flock of redheads we knocked him out did pretty good <laughs> oh that's that. cool that's oh, wow. cool that sounds like um a case of mistaken identity for the canvas back just <laughs> yeah hanging out with the yeah. redheads <laughs> i gotta actually have a canvas back story so this was my uh first season hunting canvas back a few years back or hunting ducks a few years back and um i was with one of my buddies and we're floating back to the boat boat launch end of our hunt and uh we have this duck uh, on the river, like twenty yards from us, and it's a canvas bag, and <laughs> we're floating, and it's a river section that we'd never hunted before, and so we didn't know if it was in city limits or not. And my buddy thought, you know, this is in city limits, like don't shoot, don't shoot. And then later on, we looked, and it wasn't, and I could have shot a canvas bag, and <laughs> I've never shot one. So. Oh man, yeah, that, that's kind of like my uh, Moby Duck story from last year so we saw last year i'm pretty sure it was a farm duck hybrid but it was a, it was a, a mallard drake and then just the four or five flight feathers on its wings were totally pure white on each on each side and um have you have you ever seen like that Corey? i've seen a couple they're really rare um i've seen more geese we've killed or killed uh i've had um uh ooh, can't remember what you call it uh, Quill Lake Goose uh, with the giant. It's Canadian. He's got the giant white patch on his breast. Yeah. We've we've yeah. mounted one of those. Um, uh, well, a few blonde mallards. This thing was just beautiful. I mean, total, just a perfect mallard drake with just those four or five flight, you know, those feathers on the tip. Someone like they had dipped it in white paint. And huh. my buddy and I, we both had our limit of mallards. We had five each, and we were just sitting there in our decoys. And this duck comes and lands, just lands in the decoys, and he's sitting there. Mm-hmm. We can't shoot this thing. We've got our limit. Well, we weren't. I mean, so technically, if it's a hybrid of any kind, it doesn't count towards your pure Mallardrake limit, is my understanding, like, which I was later told that. Some form of a hybrid, we would have been able to shoot it, um, even though we had our five Mallardrake limit, because we still had our one bonus stuck. Hmm. But we just sat there, and while the thing sat in the hmm. decoys for about 20 seconds. Oh, man. So off. <laughs> and we actually saw him a week later. Uh, in the same marsh but you know that's like man i would have loved to have had that bird yeah hybrids are definitely a, another cool type of bird to get mounted oh yeah yeah they turn out pretty good they're a uh, kind of trouble for me because then i have to figure out exactly what it's closer to like as far as uh body wise and head wise uh, yeah. uh, it can it can make for some trouble but then you end up <laughs> with more of a, a custom bird i have a little more time and i charge the same amount but yeah uh, yeah, if I had the choice between mounting a, a normal mallard or a hybrid, I'm definitely going hybrid every time. Yeah, nice. So, kind of stepping back a little bit, let's kind of go through, uh, you know, kind of where we're we're headed at the beginning. Like, you know, the best practices and starting from hunting. You know, what should guys be looking to do um, if they're going to plan to mount a bird? Well, if you're going to plan to mount a bird and you know that you're going to mount that bird right off the get go, first you want to. Um, 
you know, you want to use a smaller shot. You don't want to be going out there trying to kill ducks with T shot or something like that. They're just going to mm-hmm. tear them up. Um, and then I can, I can do a lot of repairs, you know, as far as feet or wings go, but preferably if you want, uh, and it's always the opposite for customers, but, uh, if you want a flying bird, try to bring me a bird that's got wings that aren't broken. Um, and if you want a, a standing bird, obviously I need legs that aren't shot up. Um, if you can, uh, preferably go out and retrieve the duck yourself, as opposed to sending your dog, um, you're going to have a little bit less damage. Not to say that your dog, you know, you could have the best dog in the world and he's not tearing up birds, but he's, he's definitely going to crunch some feathers, even if he's not trying to, um, uh, keep them clean with blood. I can still remove the blood, but the less blood on the bird, the better it's going to turn out to in the long run because that's less chemicals I have to use to remove the blood, less scrubbing I have to do on him. Um, and then care for the bird. Um, I had a gentleman actually bring in a couple mallards that he had brought in. Uh, and he got in the field, and he was doing a two-day set. He just threw them in the cooler with nothing on them. Well, those birds were, were garbage by the time I got them. So if you can you know, keep that bird separate from your other birds, uh, keep them out of the bottom of the boat, You know, don't throw them in the mud, uh, try to care for them until you get them in the freezer, and you want to get them in the freezer as soon as possible. And you want to get them in the taxidermist from the freezer as soon as possible, too, to kind of uh, – alleviate any issues you might have with freezer burn um, and then if you can bag that bird too prior to putting it in the freezer like the thickest bag you can get like if you can get a four mil ziploc bag and try to remove all the air that's going to be really good um, the seal meal bags if you can control it and you can not have it crush that bird that's going to be a lot better too because the seal meal bags for whatever reason have those um, the checkering in them and uh, that kind of transfers out to feathers and it's really difficult or impossible to get that out if you uh, really pressurize or really vacuum those birds down. Um, other than that, I mean, com- common sense stuff. Like if you're not going to be able to get to the taxidermist for a while and you put them in your freezer, uh, try not to just do them in that straight out pose because, you know, your wife or your kid might get in that freezer and knock that bird and you can break that head off or a wing off or anything like that. So try to tuck that the head under the wing if possible. And uh, yeah, I mean, just common sense. Just really care for the bird. You know, prior to the safer and the cleaner you can be with that bird, the better that bird's going to be when uh, when it leaves my shop. How, how so, long can it be in your freezer, in, 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 in my freezer? Well, that just kind of varies. Um, if the makeup of the bird, for whatever reason, some birds are fattier than others. The fattier the bird, it seems like the less freezer burn you're going to get. So, like geese, they'll last longer than, um, say, a really lean teal. Um, but um, if you can get them in a bag, you're pretty well guaranteed to get at least a year out of it as long as it's, you know, not exposed to the elements. It's well elements, as long as it's not just open in your freezer with no covering, um, you can probably get a a good year out of it. I did some sea ducks just recently for a gentleman that he had killed in 2015 and those turned out phenomenal. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really hard to, to predict how that bird's going to come out, but the quicker you can get it, the, the better. Um, you know, you don't want to leave something in your freezer for five years and then bring it to me. Yeah. Um, but two or three months is no problem at all. Then no, two or three months, not a problem at all. Not okay. a problem. Okay. So what's the longest that you've ever had one that, that you did end up mounting? Um, oof, probably I had a five year old canvas bag that got brought in and he was so freezer burn. I did everything I could. I soaked him in a solution to try to bring some of that freezer burn out. I injected his feet. I injected his wings, but the primaries, um, basically the wrist bone of the bird where the, the last feathers come out. Um, that was so freezer burnt. I couldn't open it. So I had to just basically make them 
looked like he's banking in really hard. It was the only way to really pull that mount off. Uh, huh. But yeah. So did it turn out okay then? Or? It turned out okay. It's not really, uh, definitely not something that I would call, you know, my best work because of, you know, the circumstances around it, but it turned out okay. Uh, or maybe it was your best work just to get it onto a wall. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Just didn't look like it. <laughs> yeah. If I if I ever shoot a mal or a, a wow, if I ever shoot a pintail, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure. If I if I couldn't at the time afford it, I mean that thing's gonna have to wait in the freezer because I I'm getting that mounted <laughs> at some point. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. And it's one of those things. Um. Even if you don't bring it to me, you can talk to some of your other taxidermists that are local, and a lot of those guys would rather have you keep it in their freezer than in yours because they can they can kind of control it a little bit better. They're not gonna have so much damage out of it. Um, so maybe if you could just get them like a small down payment and, uh, like I've worked with guys, like, uh, guys that I know, I'll, uh, I'll let them bring me, you know, hundred dollars here and there, make, make small payments. And uh, you can talk to your local tax firms too about that. And I'm sure that's something that they'd be willing to do. Um, just to, you know, if they can keep their quality coming out of their shop, that's, that's what most people would, would prefer. So if they can care for your bird, uh, they would prefer that I would imagine. Awesome. So Jordan, should we do the uh, lightning round? And I want to I want to get into his process from start to finish. Obviously, um, what what should we do? Go into that now, or should we do lightning round and then back to it? Um, yeah, we can do lightning round. But I actually had one more question, kind of going back to something you said earlier about, okay. um, you know, dogs retrieving birds, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> so if if like if you were to lose some feathers from a dog retrieving it, is that the end of a into the world like as far as taxidermy goes or not at all um there's a lot of different poses that you can uh, put the bird in to kind of draw your attention away from it um you know if he loses a lot of back feathers i can put him belly out if he loses a lot of belly feathers you know i can have him banking real hard um you can put standing poses we can you know put them on the water like he's swimming there's a lot of options i mean if, if he loses a lot of head feathers, that's probably not a bird you're going to want to mount, you know, because there's not really a whole lot I can do to hide the head. Uh, but, you know, back, belly, some wing feathers, I can definitely work with that. Awesome. Yeah, I'd say one, one thing about it, you kind of said and you mentioned you, you'd rather not have people, like, to get the best mount, not have their dog mm -hmm. retrieve it. But for me, I think personally, like, it, being part of the memory, that I'd love it if my dog was to re retrieve the duck I mounted. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. Just to, yeah, I'm as the same far as like a memory, you know, goes. Yeah, absolutely. I've got I've got three dogs, and I've got a uh, one that I hunt with majority of the time. She's got a real soft mouth. Uh, I don't have a problem mounting any of her birds. Uh, but then I've got my uh, younger male. He's kind of got a rougher mouth, and I, I know if I send him out on it, he's going to be crunching it, you know, because he <laughs> he's kind of a doofus. He kind of he'll be walking through the marsh, and he'll just be, you know, forget what he's doing, lose his grip on the duck, so he throws it back up, catches it again. It's not really going to turn out <laughs> yeah. very well, but. Um, just depends, I guess, too, on your, on your dog. Um, but I mean, yeah, the memory of your dog bringing it back. I've got a, a mallard back here that's actually mounted, um, with the picture of my dog bringing it back. And that makes, you know, it helps with the memory. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can do with that too. Awesome. All righty. Let's go ahead and jump into the lightning round. Lightning, lightning round is quick questions, quick answers. So let's jump right into it. Uh, okay. what kind of gun do you shoot? Uh, Versamax Remington. Uh, 12 gauge or 12 gauge or 20 gauge uh 12 gauge and uh do you shoot three inch shells or three and a half i shoot a lot of divers so i shoot uh, majority three and a half 
I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever heard that as a, uh, a reasoning for three and a half, but. Oh, well, for whatever reason, I get a lot, the divers, when I get cripples and I'm on the lake, if there's any wind, they're taking off on me. I, I seem to have more, um, more instant kills with the, with the three and a halfs, especially because the divers, I try to get them to decoy into me and as steel, you know, you're not getting the shot cloud that you get out of lead. You're getting the shot string. So the more mm -hmm. pellets you can put through that bird, obviously the cleaner the kill. So that's, nice. that's my theory on it. So is the three and a half, you're going with a, a higher speed or more shot then? Um, more shot. You get a little, well, you get more shot, a uh, heavier load. Um, I'm normally shooting three and a half federal premiums. Um, I almost swear by them. Winchesters I've just always had a lot of issues with. But yeah, it's more of a shot issue as opposed to speed? speed. What's the speed on those shells? Ooh, um, off the top of my head, I couldn't really tell you an honest answer, but I think it's probably somewhere around 1250, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Yeah, okay. And then do you, uh, what size shot do you shoot for ducks? Number twos is what I prefer. And are you a number twos all around for geese as well or? Uh, I'll shoot number twos at geese, but um, I like to shoot bees or BBs uh, at geese if I can. All righty. Uh, and beard or no beard? <laughs> <laughs> beard. Face paint or no face paint? Uh, I like face paint. Uh, full choke or uh, modified? I shoot a modified. Um, if I'm shooting geese every now and then, I'll throw in the full. Am I forgetting any, Elliot? Oh, I, oh, I think that I think that does it. All righty. Let's jump back into the. I'm really curious on the process, the actual ins and outs of what you do from the time that you pull a bird out of the freezer. Um, okay. What's that process um, like? So from the time I pull the bird out of the freezer, I've got about 24 hours for it to thaw. So after that, I take them down. Uh, I make a breast incision, uh, like say on a mallard, you've got that line. Well, that, that dark line normally is never on his breast. It's right there on the base of his, where his neck should be. So I'll start at that dark line. And I'll bring it all the way down to his vent. Uh, probably the best word for it. And then from there, I'll just skin him out. I'll clip the wings, clip the legs, uh, pull the body out. And then I'll just skin out the wings. I'll skin out the legs. And then I'll work my way to the head. And then I'll make an incision from the bill all the way around so that I can uh, just kind of relief all those feathers. And then I'll work it back over the head pull the neck out um, then I have to flesh it and that's probably the most difficult um, to flesh it I have a wire wheel um, and I'll just work that until I can get all those feather quills clear any fat um, as you know mallards and you know divers carry a lot of fat on geese an insane amount of fat so I just work all that fat out out of the quills as best I can and then I'll wash it in some dawn dish soap to kind of degrease him and then I'll put him in a lacquer and uh, the lacquer will just kind of degrease him even further and he's going to kind of eliminate some of that dead smell. So you're not going to have any issues with bugs. From there, uh, I figure out what your pose is, what the customer would like on his pose. Uh, I take my body. Uh, it's basically a commercially bought foam body. And then I modify it to fit whatever pose that it is he's going to be in. Um, I'll measure out my neck because, I, you know, uh, you can get in a book and it'll tell you, you know, every mallard's going to have a seven inch neck. Every gadwall's going to have a five inch neck. That's not necessarily true. So I try to match everything I do to that one specific bird. And then my head, I'm using a fake head. Um, sometimes if the customer wants a, a real bill, I'll use the real bill. But for the most part, it's fake head, fake bill. I, I set my eyes in clay, uh, build my eye ring. Um, and then from there, it's just wiring. I'm wiring my legs. I'm wiring my wings. I'm mating them, I'm mating them to the body. 
the neck. I'm inserting the neck and the neck material. Um, then from there, I'll sew my bird shut after everything's kind of fairly posed up. And then I'll come back at the very end. I'll do my head attachment and then I'll glue all my feather line up to my bill line, uh, set my eyes. And then from there, once I get them in your pose that you want, it's probably up to up to a week depending on humidity i'll be going in every day and i'll be touching that bird trying to make sure those feathers stay where that where you want them uh keeping your alignment because as the skin contracts it's going to kick some feathers out uh so i just have to go back in there and groom those feathers down uh, until it's completely dry uh, i like to let my birds dry for about three weeks but i want to be with them you know on top of those birds for at least at least a week if not 10 days or so uh just to make sure that everything stays where it should be and that's basically it. Uh, habitat, you know, you can, there's a hundred million things you can do with habitat. So that's all a whole nother thing. You can just do your bird on a stick. I can make him just attached to a wire so that it looks like he's just suspended on your wall. Uh, or we can build some intricate habitats, you know, uh, you know, a nice rock with some ice dripping off of it. Um, or everybody wants a water scene. Water scenes get pretty expensive just because of my material costs, but uh, water scenes always turn out tremendous. So. so how much how much freedom do you, do do the customers have in I assume they have a lot but on a normal mount um are you getting them and they tell you the pose and you just do what you think and have some creative a micromanaging exactly everything they want on it It, it really depends customer to customer um I can tell you that if you come in and you micromanage that I mean if you have all your birds going one way on your wall and you want this bird to be going the same way you know that's absolutely fine um but if you give me a little bit more freedom um, you're definitely going to end up with a better, better bird because, you know, you may remember that wing being perfect, but he may be missing a couple feathers where his speculum is. Um, so if I put mm -hmm. him the opposite direction of what you asked, he's going to turn out a lot better. But if you ask me to do it, I may give you a call and be like, Hey, this is what's going on with that bird. Would you like to shut up? Um, but if you can't, you know, I, you know, it's, it's your bird. I'm not going to give you a product that you don't want. So, but yeah, the more freedom I get, the better quality of bird you're going to get. So on uh, one thing I'd say about uh, mounts that I, I guess I hadn't seen them, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but are the dead mounts kind of a new kind of trend, like the 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 one kind of behind you? Yeah, yeah, that's like a just a a whole limit right there. The dead mount is kind of came onto the scene probably about five or six years ago. They got really big. You don't see them a lot in competitions because it can't be judged. So a lot of guys don't put a lot of time into them because you know. They're not going to compete with them. So a lot of your taxidermists are going to have a lower quality on their uh, dead hang. I, I kind of like the dead hang myself, so I, uh, I put a lot of time into them. But, yeah, it's, it's a fairly new thing. You, uh, you can get more of your colors out of it, um, especially if you're going to build like a scene. Uh, the dead hang is a pretty good thing to go with. Now, why can't they be judged? Uh, because when the judging rules are that the, it's supposed to be like the bird or the animal is alive. You don't want to have a dead animal. Mm. Uh, because a dead animal... Uh, if you're going off anatomy, what's the real anatomy of a dead animal? It could be anything. How was he shot? You know, how was uh, what happened to him when he died? You know, so you can have a broken wing in there, and it's impossible to judge it. Um, so really, when you bring a dead hang in to get judged, all they're doing is judging your head attachment. So there's there's really nothing they can do there. So like your normal judging, what they're going off of is anatomy um, is about ninety percent of your score, and then your um, artistic merit. Like, um, is this something that bird really does? Um, is this, you know, will I see this in nature? Like, um, you're not going to have 
a dabbler standing the way a diver would stand. Like they just, they don't stand the same. They stand totally opposite because the makeup of their body is different. So it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different aspects to the judging aspect, but yeah, as far as what I got a little off topic there, but as far as the dead hand goes, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fairly new concept. I really like it. Um, you can do a lot of things with it, especially if you're going to have a lot of birds mounted. Yeah. I definitely think those are cool as well. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Do you have a favorite uh, style of, of how to mount a bird typically? I don't. Um, I like uh, more action poses. I like, uh, I like things that I see. Like um, when I go in and I, have, I can do whatever I want, I like to see, you know, if I see a lot of mallards when I'm hunting, you know, they're banking in and they're just, I like to recreate what I see. You know, you have other guys that, um, you know, every bird that they do is just, you know, banking real hard to the left, banking real hard to the right. I like to do what I see. Um, so if I can keep it different, you know, nobody wants to get burned out of their job. So I don't want to do the same exact pose every single time. Um, so I, I can't really say I have a favorite, uh, but more action poses, the more emotion you can put into that animal, I think the better the quality. So that's what I kind of shoot for. And I would imagine making, making new different, aspects to what you're doing probably keeps your job fresh and is one thing you really love i would assume absolutely um you get to think a lot um yeah you know it is it is an art and the more you can really put into it as opposed to doing like cookie cutter pieces the the better it is you know mentally on you to go in and do it every day so so as far as you're kind of saying you pick different different styles every once in a while so do you have a lot of customers that come in and just say like surprise me or you know just whatever my returning customers are always like oh whatever you think's good um and those are the <laughs> ones i like so uh, <laughs> yeah so I, I give them you'll get a if you, if you give me a little more artistic freedom you're definitely going to get a uh, i'll go a little further with it you know what i mean because i'll I, I can put my time into it and enjoy it as opposed to you know you just want that bird on a stick banking to the left you know that everybody uh-huh. wants and yeah. once you actually pull the bird out and it's it's thawed, how long does it take you to mount a typical? The actual mounting process, I've probably got four hours in the skin work and prep, and then I've got probably probably three hours in the the finish work. So um, I can get a bird done in about seven or eight hours. Um, your real time at the taxidermist though is your dry time. Um, yeah. You know that that oh, prep work. You, you know that five minutes a day every day. That's where your real time comes in. And that's how a lot of taxidermists get backed up because they have all these things on their wall that they have to care for. And then uh, you're waiting on guys to come pick up. So you can't really progress. You can't put another bird on that wall until this guy comes and picks that bird up. That's kind of the main issue we run into as far as time. And for those of you that are uh, watching or listening, uh, Sportsman Taxidermist, you guys actually ship. So you you don't just have to work locally. You guys can service anyone, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, we've shipped to, uh, I think, 36 states or so. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're very versed in that. Um, we don't have a problem shipping really anything. Um, we had to ship some swans one time. That was a problem. We had to make <laughs> removable wings. But other than that, yeah, we don't have a problem, problem shipping. How, how, do you, how do you package that? that how, how do you package it? It's like a mallard. Well, mallard. Uh, how, how would you package it and send that? Bubble wrap. Well, obviously – yeah bubble wrap uh he's going to be secured to his base and then i'm going to build a frame around him and i'm going to secure whatever his base is to that frame and then i just try to keep him suspended in the middle as best i can Uh, Um, and then i best is overnight because they seem to take better care of their stuff and the less that other people are handling it obviously the less uh issues you're going to have with damaging and and 
the shipping process. Now, what about the shipping to you? If someone like, let's say from Indiana, wanted to ship you a bird, yep. um, what what would he do? What would you suggest that, how do they handle it? You want to get that bird completely frozen. Um, He's going to be in his plastic package. And then you're going to, uh, if you can get one of those little styrofoam coolers that you can get in there, put some ice packs in there with him. Uh, and then just do uh, overnight if you can. Overnight gets pretty expensive, so as long as that bird's insulated pretty well, you can do two-day shipping, which probably cuts your shipping costs in half. Um, so that's what I normally recommend. Hmm. So, and do you guys have a website, or how, how do people typically contact you? Um, we've kind of got a rudimentary website, Sportsman's Taxidermy. You can look in there. This, we Unfortunately, we're so busy, we don't really keep it updated too well. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, though, you can uh, get on there, and I normally try to keep a lot of what I'm doing posted. Um, Like the sea ducks, I just posted those sea ducks. We built a big, ornate rock wall. Unfortunately, it was too big for me to get in all my pictures because it's going to take up, like, uh, I think it's going to – he's putting it in a finished barn. It's going to take up 12 feet by 20 feet. So there was just no way for me to be able to take a whole picture of it. But it turned out pretty good. But, you have to come join yeah. us on Facebook on Fellowship of the Duck Guns, and and I'd love to see your pictures over there. Absolutely, that'd be great. Awesome. So, uh, do you ever have like um, customers bring in like old mounts? Um, yeah, actually, uh, S- Steve, the the gentleman that I work with that owns uh, Sportsman's Taxidermy, uh, he had a duck brought in from the very first year that he was commercially doing taxidermy. Still looked really good. It was just the the gentleman hadn't cared for it, so uh, it had probably a quarter inch of dust on it. So we just had to clean them <laughs> off, that kind of stuff. But we'll get a you know somebody will bring in Grandpa's deer. Um, they'll want it redone, so we'll just you know mount it in the same way that they had it, put the old antlers on there, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get quite a few fish. Everybody's fish fades out because they keep it in the sun, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. We do so a lot of is, uh, uh, insurance work. This one behind me, for those that are just listening, I got my. Uh, grandpa's mallard mount behind me and uh it's uh the beak is black so <laughs> that's no oh. not not normally what normally what they look like and the the feet also are like light light yellow and it's probably i'm gonna say it's probably maybe 30 40 years old i, I have no idea honestly it's been it's been there my whole life and i'm 29 it, it was in his basement my whole life um yeah yeah, I would imagine too. If you touch his feet, they're probably going to feel kind of oily, kind of waxy yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What that is is just wicking the oil out, and then that and that old of a mount, he's going to have like a wrapped body. So somebody took their time, you know, built it out of jeweler's tool. So uh, yeah, th- that kind of stuff I, I like to keep around, you know, for memories. You know, your grandpa's duck and all that. Uh, but I've I've done the same thing with um, actually my ex-wife's uh, grandfather. He had killed a banded mallard that uh, was in pretty bad shape so we just remounted him completely put the same band on him um, just kind of rebuilding the memory for him mm. we can do all that cool. so when you have to rebuild it is it basically the same process you did originally where you just take everything off and then put it back on um on it depends case by case most of the time once the duck's mounted i've just got to do a new duck but like if he's got a band on there i can redo that band i can recreate uh whatever pose he was in um your deer um most of the time uh, like if there was a fire and you really want that same deer, I can try to reuse that mannequin. Most of the time I can't, though, but I can get that commercial mannequin in the same um, pose, put your antlers on him. I can restain the antlers if they need to, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, I can I can try to get it close to what you had. Mm-hmm. 
can you change the pose in it? Oh, my dad's got a mule deer that's like, and this thing has so many points. I don't know, like 17 or, or whatever. And the guy who did it, I just, I, I don't like the pose he put him in. He kind of, his head's dropped. I would, I think it would look so much cooler if the head was up and the, and it looked alert, you know, and, and I didn't know over the years, you know, once my dad passes on, hopefully he'll live for another 20 years, but in the future, that would be a cool thing to have. Is that I can, something you can change the pose of? Not really with the skin. Um, okay. The pose wise, like if it was some eye work or some nose work, I could definitely work on that. But the pose completely, I would have to get uh, another mule deer cape, which I could okay. get. And then uh, I just put them on a new form and I could reuse your dad's antlers. Okay. So the antlers would be the only thing that would stay with that would be able to save yeah. on something like that. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's interesting stuff. Hmm? Awesome. Well, what? what you think? Uh, yeah, I think this pretty good place to wrap up. Um, you want to go ahead and, and kind of give everybody the lowdown on your Facebook page and Instagram, what they are. So they know where to find you. And, you know, um, I guess Absolutely. It, your website as well, even if it's uh, not your, your most common source of right. Yeah. But, um, the website is, uh, Steve Morris taxidermy.com. Um, or you can just Google sportsman's taxidermy and it'll bring you to the website. Um, there's also, unfortunately there's two Facebook pages for the sportsman's taxidermy. <laughs> um, we're working on getting that result. Um, but you can go to sportsman's taxidermy, um, on Facebook or, uh, Corey Burnham, C O R Y B U R N A M on Instagram. And I, uh, I keep my Instagram, uh, basically most updated. Like, uh, you can get my day to day stuff there. Awesome. Sounds um, great. Yeah. You can get in contact with me from all that. Um, the shop's phone number is uh, 816-331-5171. And then uh, taxidermy at outlook.com is our email. Uh, so you can get in you know, any social media or phone or any of that. You can Google us. Uh, we'll come up. Uh, you can get in contact us any of those ways. Sweet deal. And we'll, uh, we'll add Corey to the Facebook group, guys, if you want to find him there as well. And, um, yeah, check him out there as well. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, really interesting topic, you know, that I didn't know honestly a lot about and, uh, you know, a lot of the finer details. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Uh, you know, let guys know what, what to look for whenever they're bringing stuff to their taxidermist. You know, I appreciate the Anytime I get to educate somebody on something like that makes my job a little easier. Well, it's obvious that it's your passion too, which is fun to talk about what you do and you love to do, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely appreciate it. Alrighty, guys, that's all we got for this week. Um, I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Corey from Sportsman Taxidermy, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, guys. And that's a wrap. I really appreciate you guys tuning in week in and week out. We couldn't do it without the great community that we have with you guys um, on the Duck Gun Podcast. Also, want to give a big shout out and huge thank. Thanks to all of our sponsors that make this podcast possible and uh, allow us to bring you this con this content weekly. Um, so we'd like to thank HGR Innovations, Gunner Kennels, um, Sportsman Taxidermy, and White Rock Decoys. All right, guys, that's all we got for this week. We're pumped. Duck season is coming in. Hope you guys are too, and hope you guys stay tuned. And we'll see you guys next time. Let's go.